Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I'm your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here as always with my wife and co-host, Catherine Weil Coker. How are you doing tonight, Catherine? I'm so great. How are you? Yeah, we're great. Survived. That's the theme of this day. A hundred percent. We have arrived at the evening. Yay! And it's time to enjoy a great bottle of wine with you. It's our date night. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 74 of The Long Finish. It's episode 74. Taping this on Saturday night. As you know, we often do. This is a chance for Catherine and I to catch up on our week and slow down, enjoy a bottle of wine. This wine is very exciting tonight. Tonight, we got a theme that I've been kind of wanting to do for a while. Catherine suggested it, and I said, yes, I'm in. I want to talk a little bit more about wine allocations. How a restaurant or a store or a private person gets a highly sought-out wine. So, Catherine's going to talk about that. And this wine, we've actually visited this place before, so that's exciting. Some great stories. So, Catherine, what are we drinking tonight? We are drinking the GB Bertolotto Verduno Pelaverga 2020. 20. 2020. Okay. So far, I've mostly just had rosés from 2020, and now like more wines are starting to come out, but it's fun. It's fun to think, ha, some people were making wine while we were all just trying to figure out the world. Trying to keep restaurants alive, children on Zoom. And they were too. I mean, that's their, this is like, this is a job. This is a... Show must go on. Exactly. Show goes on here. So we'll talk about this wine, our story with the wine, and talking about how Catherine brings in allocations to Esther's. This has been a crazy week, folks, over here. Long day today. We're preparing, first of all, for daylight savings. We're very scared. It's Saturday night before daylight so savings. <laughs> our kids are already getting up at 5.30 in the morning. Now we have daylight savings. We fall back an hour. Our kids, are they going to get up at 4.30? We tried to extend the bedtime tonight. We watched a movie together, which was fantastic. We watched Finding Nemo, which we'd never seen. None of us had seen. Hard to believe that that you and I have not seen it. The kids have not seen it. But it was awesome. I'm sure anyone who's seen it knows that. Fantastic. And it kept them up later. And so the hope is they'll sleep a little later. But also we have a baby in the mix. (sighs) We'll see. We're going to just keep riding. Our middle child continues to come into our room multiple times a night. When he does sleep with us, he helicopters, punches you in the face. Kick to the ribs. Kick to the ribs, lays on top of you. Possible to get a good night's sleep. So we're dealing with that. We're very scared of daylight savings. Uh, Our parents, both sets of our parents are coming in town for our middle child's third birthday next weekend so there's a lot to go on going on there and you have just come off a string of concert viewing that's correct now this will be a part of my inspiration but i ordered these tickets like maybe six seven months ago maybe eight months ago march april when concerts were first starting to announce that they're coming back you get so excited i'm a concert goer people i like to go see live people shows know. Yeah. people know this you all know this but I bit off a little more than I could chew because all these shows were announced right around the same time. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to all of them. And I just started buying tickets. Now, this is six months ago before More than we... that. This is like March. Yeah. Yeah. Before we had a baby, before we had 
moved, before our domestic engineer left, all of these things. And now, here we are. Completely different life. Totally. Completely different life. Just six, seven months ago. But look, here we are. We're, we're still married, even yep. after that. That's right. <laughs> so, and, um, you know, we both benefited in a way. So I went on six concerts in the span of ten nights, and my body is in pain. My body hates me. Not from, like, excessive drinking or anything, just from being up late. Just, like, going to bed late and getting up early to watch the kids. Because, as you know, people all know, if you want to do some fun... We talk about the theme is the show must go on. The parenting That's must go it. on. You got to get up and you got to watch the kids. 5.30, you got to turn on the TV. You got to cut the plum. <laughs> cut the plum is a great, is that a good band name? I don't that know. That is, well, it's very poetic. Cut the, cut the plum. But that is literally what you do. It's literally what I do. I wake up and cut a plum for my son and uh, go back to bed. So yes, I saw The Strokes. I saw them at the Forum first. Then I saw a band from London or England called the uh, Jungle. Then I saw Dead and Company, which was a fun show. And then I saw, oh, I, saw, I didn't go to five. I went to, I went to five because I didn't. I, I forgot. I had two shows of the my favorite band in the world currently. I think I've talked about them before. Inspiration Krungbin, the band Krungbin from Houston, Texas. I know I've talked about them before. I believe in this band will appeal to so many people. So if you haven't already, check them out. I saw them twice this week at the Greek. I was supposed to see them three times, it turns out. But you know what? Your friend reminds you that you bought tickets in March, like four hours before. The, you have no clue. You have no clue when you bought these tickets or what, what's going on. So it was supposed to be three nights. I only saw them two, and now I'm just plain tired. I can not even imagine. I was supposed to go to two of the concerts Correct. also. But you're, all, you're scared. You're too scared. We had a babysitter booked. But the baby had been sick. He was waking up at night and had to nurse a lot. And also, like, I can't do it right now. I can't. I'm too tired. I have to go to bed. And I told you this is some sort of midlife crisis slash me just sort of testing my physical limits. Some people do this through marathons and sporting events. I do this through concert going and just seeing if I that's can hilarious get back up. Yeah, that that's what that is. Maybe it's a Guinness Book of World Records or something. Who knows? Well, I'd be happy to award you so that you can move on. Yes, can we do that now on the show? <laughs> can you award me the show? I will present you with yes. most concert going for <laughs> man days. with three kids in consecutive Thank days. Yeah. Thank you. You know, there's some shirts out there that say like certain names, blank and blank and blank and blank. It's a variety of them. I've seen a shirt that has all three kids and your name on there. This is a tribute to you as I go to these oh, concerts. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's what bringing I'll do for, for the holiday. You. Yeah, that's right. I'm bringing, with, I'm bringing you with me. Well, we want to bring you all with us back to 2014 where we visited italy we were waiting for esters to open ah i'm there there was a delay in the opening as we talked about in the very first episode of the long finish they had to retrofit our building huge delay on that so we went to italy and france to check out wine find some wines for the shop and we went to this great Winery? Yes, this wonderful winery. We visited GB Berlotto in Verduno, in Barolo, and we met with Fabio Alessandria, the winemaker there, and he was fascinating, totally like just full of knowledge, but also kind of a esoteric and really like intriguing character of a man. It was a very memorable visit. 
our whole tour of Piemonte, which was actually not really Piemonte, but in uh, of Barolo and some of Barbaresco, was with Ted Vance of The Source. And he is an importer who lives in Portugal now, actually, but lived in California for a long time, lived in LA, lived in Santa Barbara, brought in wines from Italy, France, Spain, and then moved over there. And he was a good friend, but he became an even better better friend after this fabulous trip where he just took us to blue chip, top-notch wineries in Barolo. It was the experience of a lifetime. Think about staying in the vineyards in Saralunga in a tiny little agriturismo and getting up every day at 9 a.m. eating a piece of dry toast on your way to taste Barolo at 9 a.m. and tasting Barolo all day. It was exciting. Also, your mouth hurts so much. So by the time we got to the winery of GB Berlotto, our palates were a little fatigued, let's just say. And Fabio opened up a rosé of Palaverga. And we were like, rosé. Oh my gosh, our mouths are just watering. Because it basically was like, ugh, finally, lemonade on a hot day. You know, we had had so much tannic red wine. And we just sat in this funny little room that he had and listened to him talk. This is a really historic winery. And I don't know that we really knew what we were getting into at the time, but then later learning how amazing this winery is and how special it is, what Fabio's doing, it was pretty cool. I remember there being a dog on the property that we all fell in love with. And I also remember most people, when we're tasting wines, have the wines ready for you right there. But Fabio would take strolls out of the room three to five minutes go somewhere, come back with another wine. It was just like a bit of a disappearing act each time. And the time. whole tasting, which, you know, could have taken 25 minutes, probably took like two hours. It was, a, it was, it was so just, much fun. He was just, you know, enjoying it. That is such a lesson. I'm sure so many people, when you travel and you get outside our busy, productive culture here in the States, you realize, oh, wow, there is like, <laughs> there is a slower different pace to life and it can be so enjoyable anyway this winery is just pretty special so gb barolotto who founded the winery in 1850 kind of one of the first people to put barolo wines in a bottle not in a jug not in a demijohn but in a bottle that was revolutionary at the time and he was kind of a superstar as far as Piemonte and Italy like the world was all about French wines but they knew a few people from Italy and he was one of them he was from this tiny little village Verduno it's in the Barolo DOCG it's not one of like the villages or whatever but it is a village in Barolo tiny little spot and it really had a reputation then But once he passed away and the winery kind of, you know, wasn't of its same acclaim, people forgot about Verduno. And in Verduno, there's a native grape called Pelaverga. It was planted among Barolo. It was not popular in the the mid-1900s. You would never sell a bottle of Pelaverga. It's something like you would give away because people weren't like proud of this grape variety. It was just a native grape variety to the region. But Fabio, so he is the great, great grandson of GB Barolotto. 
he really wanted to bring the winery back to what it could be. And he had a vision. And when, I mean, thinking about him, like meeting him, this is a guy with a vision, clearly, like a little bit esoteric and a lot on his mind. So he started making wines in a very ultra traditional method. And he makes all his wines this way. Everything is foot stomped. Everything has long macerations. And then everything is aged in large boti, very large, large wooden vessels. His most famous vineyard is the Barolo Monvigliero, which we tasted, but he also has Canubi, a Clevi, and a Barolo Normale. And his style of these wines is just so different because of this ultra-traditional winemaking. And it's what makes this Pelaverga really special too. Now, there are a number of producers in Verduno who make Pelaverga. Again, if you didn't get it, now you got to get it. Pelaverga is the variety. But his style is what is so special. So foot stomping is the alternative to a press, right? Or a machine. And when you're pressing grapes, you're basically extracting like tannin and structure and all the flavors and aromas from the skin. So think about, you know, when you squish a grape between your hands versus let's say a machine is squishing it. That's a different kind of squish, right? It's gentler, it's softer. And also when grapes are foot stomped, they often don't break the pip or the seed. And there's really, really kind of like rough tannins in the seed. So it's a gentle press, much gentler than any machine could do. Then you have this long maceration. And in a maceration, that's when the skins and the juice are in contact. And usually that's what extracts the tannin, the color, all the flavors and aromas. And if it's really long, usually it's going to get crazy tannin. But because the foot stomping, it kind of balances that out. And then it's aged in this bote. So it's aged. It has time to settle and have a little bit of just enough contact with oxygen. And then it's bottled. So it's really special. It gets these wines that have tan and have structure, but are have beautiful mouthfeel and crazy great aromatics. I think that's what's so special and different. And if you've tasted any of the Berlotto wines, you will know, wow, you can just tell from the nose there's something different here. That's a great point. I remember that. Partly because when we were going through this tasting, we were tasting so much of the same varietal, but you really do get it. One thing you do notice by all these tastings on top of each other is the sense of style between uh, the different winemakers. And he, he really stood out. That's what's so great about visiting a wine region or doing a tasting where you're just exploring a specific region. You kind of get an essence of, oh, what is this place? So you, you can do that with Russian River Valley Pinot Noir. What is this place about? What am I getting that's all the same here? Then you can explore oh, let's try Pinot Noir from Santa Barbara. Let's try Pinot Noir for blah, blah, blah. But like getting the essence of a place. So let's talk about Pelaverga, this variety. So Pelaverga, as I said, native to Verduno. It's a red grape variety. It is really dark skinned. But what's cool about this wine, obviously you can see that it's such a pale color. And part of that is just like I said, because of the winemaking, because it's so gentle, that extraction of color from the skins. It tends to have this strawberry thing and tends to be lighter and aromatic and really is great fresh. It's great to drink it three to four years 
after bottling. This is particularly pretty version. You were saying like before we started drinking it, like, oh gosh, it has that eucalyptus and that medicinal thing that I always love and get from Italy. It's so much like black pepper and strawberry and rosemary and thyme. It's floral. It's got such a pretty, pretty nose. And the palette is so delicate and silky. And there's just enough tannin, but barely any. Just enough to remind you and great acidity. Pelaverga is excellent in cold years. It's just like the acidity it needs. It really grows well in the cooler climate. So the shadier vineyards are the vineyards that don't get that or- morning sun. It works. Now you said Pelaverga is native to this area, but is it grown anywhere else? Not that, Not that I know of. Which, is, which makes it cool. Makes, it may help us transition ultimately to allocations because you can't just find Pelaverga anywhere else. You got to go here to get it. Yeah, and I think, well, talking about allocations, it's, yes, there's not very much Palo Verga. There's only a few producers that make it in Verduno. But also, this winemaker is really special. Before you and I really knew who they were, when we just had tasted the Barolo from this producer, we were like, oh, this is different. This is really unique. There's a delicate nature to this. There's aromatics that you don't get on other wines. Yeah, you make a good point because so many of the Barolos that we were tasting were all about power during our visit. So to have the contrast this from still, this winemaker. Exactly. It still has structure, but it's got that soft mouthfeel and just the wine just kind of dances. So let's conclude our discussion on Pelaverga. Let's talk about food pairings for this wine. This is completely... A charcuterie wine for me because it has that pepper and strawberry and all those dried herbs and floral. It just screams for just a plate of meat on the patio, really. And I think that when we were in Barolo, we actually we tasted Palaverga with another producer and we had it outside at like four o'clock. This is totally my special happy hour wine. It was during this visit that I realized for the first time, and listen, I didn't travel overseas till I was 22 or three years old. I'm not sophisticated like our listeners are. You hear of Italian food, you think Italian food is pasta. But you go to certain regions of Italy, including Piemonte, and you're like, that's there is pasta there, but it's really becomes the different cuisine. Charcuterie being a big component of that. So it makes complete sense that you would... We ate a lot of charcuterie, is my point, during our trip to Piemonte. So I see that 100%. I think it's also great with pasta now that you mentioned oh, it. Oh, okay. I think it would be amazing with like a cacio e pepe because it has all that pepper and it's light. It can go with fish even because it's so delicate. Of course, chicken, but it's a really versatile wine, certainly more versatile than Nebbiolo. And so I'm sure it's so welcome. The next question is where can our listeners find this wine or Pelaverga? Well, that's some, so you got to do some digging for that, really. Go to a great local wine shop and ask about Pelaverga. That's it. I mean, or go online. There are some great small retail shops that have it in big metropolitan areas like Esther's or like other spots in New York or Chicago or they have it. It's just you got to dig. This is a wine to dig for. What's a varietal comp? I would almost say it's like Cab Franc meets Pinot Noir. 
meets Nebbiolo. I don't meets Fraser. I don't wow. know. It's a little tricky. Yeah. What do you think? Hmm. It's so strong. It's like Nebbiolo and, and an aromatic something. Like mm-hmm. it's something because it's the nose that really feels jumps right out at you. So whatever is in the aromatic red wine space, that's that's what I would say. But I'm not the expert. You are. So let's talk about expert things. Let's talk about allocation. Let's take a few minutes and just help people understand what allocations are, why this wine needs to be allocated, and how you go about acquiring certain allocations. I remember when I first heard that word and I thought, what in the world is that? What does that mean, allocations? Oh, we have these allocations for the restaurant. Hmm. Basically, in restaurant world, it means your restaurant has been chosen to receive X amount of bottles of a particular wine. One, because you buy enough wines uh, from that particular distributor or importer. And two, because you have bought enough from that producer in the past. They have to allocate wines because the winery doesn't produce enough. As we all know, wine is not Coke. It's not soda. So whatever is produced within a year, that's all that's produced. And A lot of great, great wineries, in my opinion, the only great wineries, are small. And so there's a limit to how much they can make. The best wineries, everyone wants them, obviously. So they kind of have to divvy them out to the particular people that they think, quote unquote, deserve to have those wines. And it's either you've supported them in the past or you, you know, spend enough with that importer or distributor to get those wines. So... Berlotto is someone who is maybe a little bit newer to the allocation game since Fabio has been in charge and people realize how special these wines are and everyone wants a piece of it. So you may get allocated a certain number of cases. I got three cases of the Perla Verga this year. In other years, maybe I've gotten more or less. It also depends on the harvest. How many did that winemaker make? How did it do? You know... For example, all the wines from 2020 in Oregon, well, you know, not really going to have a lot of allocation there because fires destroyed almost everything. So it depends on the harvest and how things went, how much they have to offer. Basic question, but how many bottles of wine are in a case? 12. So you have 36 bottles Mm -hmm. of this wine. Yeah. Obviously, going to visit the winemaker helps you get some wines potentially it can for sure in this case i didn't go with the with the importer and this this person that distributes the wine may not know that i've ever Uh, that's a good point that's a very good point he might not know that but sometimes it can help your relationship with the winemaker or with the importer so a couple quick questions about your experience with allocations how does it work with the importer or the distributor do you sort of go to them and say uh, i like this wine and they say well it's it's allocated and you say how how much can i get and they sort of tell you i mean can you just talk about that a little bit yeah i mean sometimes you're inheriting a wine program so you know it's been going on a certain way for a number of years and you already have these certain wines allocated to you and they send you this email and says well you have these two cases of this available do you want it and you have to commit yes i do or no i don't you can give it away to someone else. Sometimes it's you find out somebody who has something that's so special and you say, how do I get some of this? 
and they say, oh, well, you can't have that, or here's how it's going to be, and you have to buy this much, or, you know, I'll try to get you some, and that's how it works. The thing about allocations is sometimes there's a system, and sometimes, I mean, it's a funny word in the wine business. Allocation has this buzz. Oh, it's allocated. It's somehow it's that makes it the so special. 100%. Because it's limited. That's how you know. Oh, certain people get it. Certain people don't. Oh, you know, it has a mystique about it. HTG, hard to get. Ooh. That is a word that you and I throw around or, or a, an acronym that you and I throw around when we kind of make fun of the wine business. HTG. All the best wines are hard, hard to, get. to get. Now, have you ever been told that you've lost an allocation? And then how have you gone? Have you done any work to sort of try to retrieve that allocation? Oh, yes. I've lost allocations. And I don't get... I usually just... And that's a funny thing. It ends up being more about the relationships. I feel like, you know, sort of a power trip from somebody or... Maybe I didn't buy enough wine from that person and they wanted me to buy more or or the producer made so much less and they ended up giving bottles only to the people who bought the most of it or whatever. In my experience, I don't tend to fight for those as much as I do. Okay, there is so much wine that I love, that I want to buy, that I often just say, okay, well, time for that to leave you know it's like when you lose your favorite watch and you've had it for a long time and you love it but you think you know I was probably attached to that watch let it be let it be out there let it go it's okay now I'm assuming because we visited this wine we were talking about tonight that it's a wine that you would want to fight for it makes sense there's a certain wines that you and I have like Mascarello there's certain certain allocations I'm sure you're very excited to get because we have emotional attachment to these for sure and this winery we have some in our cellar we you asked before if we had the pelaverga we don't or you asked if we had this in our cellar before we have some barolo from barolotto in our cellar which is pretty our our meager little cellar here at our home (laughs) yeah yeah Um, which we you know it's a start that we got at the winery i mean it's pretty cool it's very cool I mean, um, so, so much of our whatever our, our stash whatever, whatever you want to call it our wine fridge our wine fridge is built from the trip that we took to italy and france for yeah. sure because i'm a delayed gratifier Kathleen likes to make fun of me because i can hold on to things forever and the one place where that really holds value is wine it's a great <laughs> thing to have in the wine world it really is yes i do want to fight for the producers that i have met and have a relationship with, especially if they are great farmers too. And if they kind of hold true to the standards that I have now at Esther's. So for our listeners who want to drink great wine, oftentimes allocated wine, is there a way that they can mention allocations or anything they can do to sort of get them a chance to drink some of those wines? I mean, would you ever advise a guest at a restaurant or a wine store to be like, hey, what's allocated? Does that make any sense? Is there any reason to do that? I think that just makes you sound kind of pretentious. Yeah, okay. Really. But if you go to, I think the best way to taste those kind of, the super special wines, as I would put it in a, I don't know, less hoity-toity sense, the special wines is to drink them at restaurants. 
Because often with retailers, they may already have their top clients that they sell those to before they ever hit the shelves. You know, you may never even see certain wines on the shelves. You, you'll you see this wine, but you might not see other wines from this producer or something. At a restaurant is the best way because they may only have one or two bottles of it in the cellar, but it's on the list. So you might ask the server or the sommelier, what is really special on this list? Something that I can have here that I might not have at other places. Something that your restaurant is so proud to have on the list. That's how I would put it. That's a good way to say it. So we just touched on a few things tonight. I think hopefully people go away and try to find some Palaverga. Go to Piemonte once travel really opens up. Check out that area. And hopefully you learn a little bit more about allocated wines. I mean, it's as Catherine said, the word allocations is thrown around a lot in the wine business. And a lot of times you just kind of like don't even know exactly what it means. So hopefully that brings some clarity. If you have any questions, feel free to hit us up at, um, on Instagram at The Long Finish. We're happy to answer them. And um, we're getting to the great allocation portion of the year, which is holiday season. We're picking out the yeah. nice bottles, drinking some good stuff. So Time to open those special things. Yeah. So we'll be doing that over here too. It's been a crazy night, just to, so you know, part of the taping of this episode, we've probably broken two or three times because we got a crying infant. Our infant had solid foods for the first time this first, morning, yeah. so <laughs> a little sweet potato might be working its way, but we've done it, and he's quiet now. But we've had some great wine, we've made it through the episode, and we hung out together. Very important. Hello. All right, now we get to the last portion of the evening, which is what has been inspiring us this week. I'm going to go first. I told you it was... Related to the five shows that I saw last week or over the last 10 days, it's Dead & Company. A lot of weird feelings for Ditton. Not weird, but sort of Dead & Company obviously has been around since the 60s. It's For those of you who don't, Catherine's trying to put on a, a Dead song right now. But for those of you who don't know, it's uh, some of the remaining living members of the Grateful Dead. John Mayer has stepped in to play a lot of Jerry Garcia's roles. Really fantastically, by the way. Not a huge Deadhead but I'm really into experiential things where I get to kind of watch deadheads get together and have a great time. And it was. It was really an inspiration to see people of all ages. I had my cousin, who's 16, reach out to me and says, I'm, I'm a huge deadhead. Then you see these dads and these, you know, these people talking. Someone sent me an interview where John Mayer did our show and during the intermission did a 45-minute inter, uh, interview with these deadheads talking about the set he had just made. It's crazy. It's a crazy little inner workings that's going on in this little slice of life that is the Grateful Dead and Dead and Company and the Deadhead. So for me, it was a real eye opener. And I would go back. I thought maybe it would be a one time deal, but I'm happy to go out and check out a show. And kudos to them as artists because they played three nights at the Hollywood Bowl, three completely different sets, which is really hard to do. I don't think they played the same song twice. Really cool. So who knew? Inspiration of the week. Dead and Company. Cool. Very cool. Sorry I missed that one. Well, next time. What do you have? Well, when the world is getting tough, as you know it always is, the first thing you got to turn toward is uh, babies and small animals. And I'm telling you, I am so inspired right now by my brother and his dogs. My brother, if you don't know, his name's Brandon. He and his partner, Uli, live in Boulder near my parents. And they have six beautiful golden retrievers. And they just had puppies September, like third week of September. They had, this is their second round this year of puppies that they've been breeding and 
They are posting videos every other minute. And my mom is sending me videos of these puppies every other minute. And oh my goodness, just, ugh, they are just so inspiring. I love these little furry little guys. If you want to take a look at them too, their Instagram is just insanity. It's all about golden retrievers. It's golden.mylokin, M-Y-L-O-K-I-N, because one of the dogs is named Milo. They are just the most adorable things you've ever seen, these little puppies, and they're getting new owners this weekend. So I've been just looking at them and adoring them from afar. Total inspiration. This Instagram account has a big following, right? It's you. <laughs> like 83,000 83, followers. followers. Don't mess with dogs on Instagram because people love their dogs on Instagram. I mean, they. I get it. They're so cute. It's... When the world is crazy, that's what you want to look at. Puppies. All right, that's it. That's it for episode 74 of The Long Finish. Episode 74 is in the books. Catherine, where can they find you and Long Finish on social media? You can find me at Catherine Wild Coker on Instagram and The Long Finish at The Long Finish on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tug Coker. Thanks to everyone for listening to the show. We should be back in two weeks for a little preview of some Thanksgiving wine that we want to recommend, so stay tuned for that. Until then, have a great week. Be happy, be healthy, and happy drinking. Ciao.